the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. I want to introduce to you, well, you know him. You know Jeff sent us. He gets us on the air beautifully every weekend. Andrew Herdliska does the producing. And uh, I want to introduce to you Tavares Gray. He's a U.S. Navy veteran. He resides in Tampa, Florida. He's got a book that's just out, Godly Dating 101. Discover the truth about relationships in a world that constantly lies. Uh, Tavares, welcome to Orlando, just down the road. Nice to talk to you. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for the opportunity. How about yourself? I'm I'm doing well, Tavares. Thank you. Uh, why did you uh, write this book? Why is this important? Yeah, so I, I'm a person that grew up in church. My parents um, were saved when I was about four years old. Uh-huh. And I realized that most people that I've seen leave the church wasn't because they didn't really want a relationship with God, but it tend to have been because of bad relationships. And then when you look around society and you see a lot of the negative things that we see, you see why people are in prison or people do some of the craziness that they do is because unfortunately we weren't exposed to healthy relationships at home. So it's just been my goal to help people navigate relationships in a way that honors God because people don't realize it, but when we follow his principles, that actually leads to more joy in our lives. So it's just been, uh, uh, my goal has just always been trying to point people back to God so that their relationships can be the way that he intended. You open your book with a chapter called Godly Dating is Preparation for Marriage. Uh, Tell us about chapter one. Yeah, so I wanted to start it off with letting people know that because I think a lot of people, we go into marriage, um, go into dating just to pass time. You know, you see a girl who attracts your eyes, you see a guy who says the right things, and people just start, you know, just start hanging out. We're just, quote, unquote, talking is what they like to say. But truth be told, it's not necessarily going anywhere. You know, and I believe that dating should be viewed through the lens of, is this a person I can see a future with? Because if you don't see a future with them, then unfortunately, all that's going to lead to is just sex. And sex doesn't sustain relationships. You know, so I want people to understand that in order to avoid heartache, in order to avoid forming connections that don't truly mean something and offering pieces of yourself to someone, it's important for you to look through the lens of, is this a person I want to carry on my legacy with? Is this the type of woman I want raising my children, the type of men leading my family? Those are the type of things that a lot of people need to focus on because if we only focus on how do they make me feel or how attractive they are, well, looks fade. And sometimes we are not going to feel like we love them. Sometimes we're going to be frustrated. 
you know, so it's important that we focus on the purpose um, rather than just the feeling. Uh, let's get to topic two. You call it a foundation for true love. Uh, what are you writing here? Well, writing about, you know, having a, a stable spiritual walk. And I say that because I, I've been in relationships where, yeah, the looks are there, like I said previously, and then after a while you realize you two have nothing in common. And there are a lot of people we connect off of different things, like I'm a person who plays sports, so you know that every guy on the team is like family now, but outside of sports, there's some guys who you would never talk to because there's no connection. And I believe that there's a lot of connections that we have, a lot of relationships that we make, and we're not necessarily in love with this person, but we love the, the connection that we have. So if you want a foundation for a relationship that truly lasts, I believe the strongest foundation is when your life is built on the rock, which is Christ Jesus. And I say that because God will allow you to go through storms. There are plenty of storms. And don't get me wrong. I know relationships in church fail, people that do love God. I know every relationship doesn't always work out. But there are a lot of things that people face today that if you don't have God as your source, you don't have God strengthening you, then chances are you're going to be in for a rude awakening because God is the one who's able to sustain you. So when I tell people the foundation for true love is a spiritual walk, it's not saying, you know, if I just attend a church building or go to a few church services, then I'm guaranteed to have it all together. No, what I'm saying is as you follow after Jesus, he's able to direct you to, he's able to guide you to, whereas when you meet a storm, He's able to get you through it. When you guys are struggling financially, you'll find out that God was the provider, not your husband, not your wife. You realize that God is the sustainer. So it's important that God is that foundation because whether you're single or you're married, you need to understand who your true source really is so we don't lean over towards um, what I would say is kind of like an idolatry. You know, you don't want to place someone on a pedestal so much that if your relationship fails, you don't know your true identity. So it's important to know who I am in Christ, and that's why it's so important to have that solid foundation before you pursue after a person. Now, I want you to explain this topic. Who's on your team? Question mark. Uh, what do you? Yeah, what do you so what's the story? Was, yeah, so I, I, I meant that in terms of accountability. Um, when I played football in high school, every time we crossed the track to get onto the football field, our coach made us say. I will not let my teammates down because we need to think long-term when it comes to relationships is not just you out there. It's not just what's about you. It's a matter of who's around you. That's going to help you achieve that goal. No matter who you are in life, you can only get so far on your own because God never intended us to live by ourselves. He intended us to have community, you know, so it's important that while I may feel as though it's just me and my wife, Safa and I against the world. No, God wants us to have people in our corner that can pray for us people in our corner that can encourage us times when I'm not speaking to my wife properly, or I'm not living up to the standard I should be or times I'm not living the way, you know, God would intend. I'm just beneath my potential. I'm being lazy. I'm being rude. I'm being arrogant. There should be somebody on my team that say, Hey, Tavares, time for you to shape up. I know you're better than that. Time for you to realize that God didn't call you to be here in this point, because there's a lot of times in our life, unfortunately we get complacent. Even if you're doing great in life, you may feel as though I've arrived, but there should always be someone in your corner that tell you, hey, man, we could do a little bit more. Or even if you are doing great, there should be someone in your corner that can strengthen you. Because we hear a lot of times people in the world say, um, you know, check on your strong friend. But I don't think we always realize that that person is going through a lot. 
You know, so it's important to have people on your team that I can check in on you. You can check in on me. Not that accountability is something that controls people or manipulates people or you're being intrusive in someone's life, but you need to have people in your corner that truly care about you because that's how it is. That's what is necessary for in order for you to grow. You need people that you're accountable to and people that can encourage and build you up. Tavares Gray is with us. He's in Tampa, U.S. Navy vet. Uh, his book is called Godly Dating 101. And now we get to topic four, uh, Tavares. It's a heart matter, you write. Uh, explain that. Um, that chapter, if I'm not mistaken, is when we're actually talking about purity. And that's because, unfortunately, well, I, I grew up in churches, you know, while I'm sure they tried their very best. I believe there are some times when they explain the subject as just, you know, don't do this or do this. And it's like, unfortunately, we received the things of God. It's like it was a rule book. We were just told what to do, what not to do. But in order to live a life of purity, it's not just a matter of me avoiding sex or it's not just a matter of me not cursing someone out, but it's a matter of what's in my heart. Because when something is pure, it's not tainted. It's not the dirt. Like if you have a clean cup, but you put dirty water in there, it doesn't matter how clean the cup was. Now it's a dirty vessel. And I believe that God wants us to have lives of purity, whereas it's not just a matter of how I look on the outside. It's not just the clothes I'm wearing or did I go to church today or what are people saying about me? But it's a matter of when I, when I search my heart, am I pleasing in God's eyes? Am I doing things that is helping me be the person God has called me to be? Because unfortunately, it's very easy to just get carried away and not realize that purity is important. But Purity is something that's really lacking in this world. I think it's difficult for us to honor God in our relationships because we're forgetting that the things we're doing, everything that I'm doing, I should be aiming to honor God. The way I speak to someone, the way I treat people, the way I respond when I'm mistreated, the way I act when I feel as though I have money or I don't, whatever season you find yourself in, God wants us to operate with a pure heart because the Bible tells us that those who are pure in heart are the ones who are going to see God, you know, and that's what God wants. He wants us to have a clean heart and not just look the part, but be, but to actually live the part. My guest, Tavares Gray, he's in Tampa, U.S. Navy vet. We're talking about his book, Godly Dating 101, Discover the Truth About Relationships in a World that Constantly Lies. Folks, we're trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando. You can be a big help. Go up to the website, orlandodreamers.com, orlandodreamers.com, and uh, and just check in with us. Tell us your thoughts. What do you think? Are you for this? Like the idea? Want to be part of it? We need to hear from you. We're back with uh, Tavares Gray right after these messages on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990. FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. We are visiting with Tavares Gray uh, down the road in Tampa, Florida, U.S. Navy vet. Um and his book is called Godly Dating 101. By the way, Tavares, uh, what did your years in the Navy mean to you? Well, I've always wanted to serve. You know, since high school, I've, well, not serve in the military, but serve people in general. 
since high school, I was doing nursing. So I actually went into the military trying to do nursing. But it was just the difficulties when it came to, like, deployment. And you have to change duty station and things like that. So I told myself I just exit and do nursing and then back in when I'm finished. Um, but it, it was truly a blessing. And I say that because I didn't know much about the military prior to going in. I had a couple of family members that was in. My brother joined right before I did. But it made you realize, you know, you always hear the sayings like freedom isn't free. You know, and then when you run into people from all walks of life, people, I'm born and raised in Miami, Florida, Jamaican background. And then I run into a guy from Idaho or a girl from Wisconsin or a guy from the Philippines. And we're all united to do one mission. It really makes you realize that we take things for granted, you know, because there are people that are putting their lives on the line in order to make our world a better place. You know, so it was truly a blessing. You know, I've got the experience that I needed. I was working in the medical field while I was there. Yeah, it just makes me appreciate, you know, the freedoms that we do have and the friendships that I, I managed to make because it's not something that many people get to do on um, the things that I've seen. And it's just just a blessing. You know, I just thank God for that time that I had. Uh, as we're uh, diving into your book, you do a chapter called Boundaries Are Blessings. Uh, can you expand on that? What does that mean? I think a lot of times when you hear about a boundary that you need to set up, a lot of people feel like you're you're caging them in, telling them what not to do. You know, we use the, the, the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve are just like, hey, you guys can eat whatever, just don't touch that one tree, and that's the tree they go after. You know, because we as human natures, we push, the, we push our limits, we push our boundaries, and we don't realize that those things are actually in place to protect us. Um, in the book, I use the example because my brother was in security in the military, the most annoying job I would run across were the security, because if you were late for work, they still had to check IDs. You wait in a long line. Sometimes they check cars, you know, just making sure they're keeping the base safe and keeping the area safe. And we would think they're delaying us from getting to where we want to be. But in reality, they're protecting us from danger. And a lot of times when we set boundaries, we don't even realize how often we set them. Our houses, we have our ring alarms and our gate codes and gated communities. We have locks on our phone. Lots all, all over things that we, we value are, are, you know, whatever if you're keeping guns or whatever it is that you're keeping at home, you protect them. But unfortunately, a lot of us, we don't protect our emotions. We don't protect our mind. We don't protect our eyes. So it's so important that we set these boundaries because it's easier for me to avoid trouble than for me to get out of trouble. It's easier for me to not deal with, for, for me to just simply not date this person rather than me dealing with years of baby mom or baby dad drama in order for you to realize that it's important to protect yourself and use wisdom before you make any decisions you have to realize you have to set those boundaries in order to protect yourself because it's not wise of me to say i need to set a lock on my phone to protect what's inside of there but i don't put a lock on my heart to protect who i engage with or allow myself into close relationships with so it's important for us to realize that boundaries aren't to restrict you or to isolate you but they're to insulate you you know, it protects us from danger, and it, and it doesn't just protect things from coming out, but it protects things from going out. You know what I mean? It's not just protecting me from the big, bad guy that's outside my house. No, but it protects what's on the inside. So if you value yourself, you have to be, you have to be willing to realize that boundaries are extremely important. God sent or counterfeit, question mark, that's your seventh topic, and you're going to have to explain that to us. Yeah, I think a lot of times when things look good, 
we automatically assume it's God's will for our lives. If I'm attracted to a black woman and I see a black woman, now I'm going to say, oh, that must be God's will for my life. If I'm attracted to a, a Latina, I'm going to say, oh, that Hispanic woman is God's will for my life. When in reality, you can get a distraction that looks exactly like your preference. A lot of people, we, we date people just because of how attractive they are. We're not paying attention to their lifestyle. We're not paying attention to their actions or how do they treat me or any of these things. But we just saw the beauty on the outside. Um, there was a time when I went to the grocery store not realizing, you know, that I had a fake $20 bill. Someone gave me a fake $20 bill and I tried to pay. And then they looked at me like, no, this is it's not going to work. And I was so confused because how did I have fake money, you know, and that, that's happened to me before. And I'm like, and I didn't even catch it because a lot of times a counterfeit looks exactly like the real thing. So it's important that you, instead of rushing into taking a new relationship or even taking a new job or rushing to a new city or whatever it is that you're probably getting ready to rush to because it looks nice, maybe do a little bit of an examination because there's times when I've gone to the grocery store and I thought, oh, okay, I'm in the organic aisle. Everything is fine only to get home and realize something is molding. You know, so it's, it's very important to realize that just because something looks nice doesn't mean it is nice. There's a saying that says everything that glitters is not gold. You know, and it's very important that we don't make decisions just based off how it makes me feel. But we need to think long-term and pay attention to what we're truly adding into our lives. Tavares Gray is our guest. Godly Dating 101, the name of his book. Topic number eight, Tavares, let it go. Uh, explain that. What's that mean? Let it go. The, the principle is not based off Frozen with the young lady singing in the snow, but it's letting people know that there's a lot of bitterness and resentment and hurt that we carry on for so long that we really have to learn the art of forgiveness. And I say that because it's not because the other person deserved it. Them mistreating you, abusing you, rejecting you, dumping you and getting married in a week or cheating on you. All of these things that people endure so often makes our hearts callous and make our hearts cold. And it's not that, you know, it's their fault that they're hurt. It's not your fault that you become that, that you felt broken by what they did. It's not your, it's not your fault. You didn't ask yourself to be hurt. They did it. But at the end of the day, you still have to be willing to forgive. And it's not for them. It's for you. In order to be who God has called you to be, in order to have the peace that you need, in order to get to the purpose that you desire, you have to be willing to let some things go. And it's not that it erases what they did or the memories it did, but it erases the pain. And I say that because as a believer, I understand that no person can offend me to the point that I've offended God. You know, God has perfect standards that I've never lived up to. And if he can forgive me, I should be willing to forgive others. And Another aspect that I talk about in that chapter is to be willing to forgive yourself. And I say that because it's very easy at times to forgive other people. But truth be told, when I'm the one who's made the mistake and I'm the one who's mistreated people, it's hard for me to be, be you know, the person that says, well, well, I deserve, you know, to be, you know, rejected. I'm the one who hurt them. And it's so easy to hold that against ourselves. So it's important for us to be willing to forgive not only them, but forgive ourselves for all the the bad mistakes that we've made. Your ninth chapter, Connected for Purpose. Expand on that for us, Tavares. Yeah, I believe when you're dating someone, the goal is you want to date someone based off the future that you have, not just where you are currently. Because you may be a person that is absolutely broke. You know, you, have, you feel like you don't have a future, but 
if you dated someone with that same mentality, now when you're finally rich and they still think like a broke person or they still think like a wounded person or they don't help you in your purpose, um, like I never, maybe one day God will make me a preacher. I don't know. I'll make me a pastor. But my thing is I knew because God called me to preach, I couldn't date someone who didn't love God. You know what I mean? It wouldn't make any sense because they would kind of be a little bit of friction in the home. So I wanted to date someone who I felt as though the future that I see God is pushing me towards, this person is not hindering that. This person is benefiting it. So if you're a person who you know, or even if you don't realize where you're going to be 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you still need someone who's helping you with your purpose. When the Bible mentions that Eve was brought to Adam, it was she was given as a helper. Not that she serves him and he just dominates her. That's not what any relationship should look like. But whatever purpose that Adam has, Eve helps him get there. Whatever purpose Eve has, Adam will help her get there. So it's so important that whoever you're with, they understand the art of helping you reach your full potential. Because I believe that most people don't know their full potential until they get married. Most people don't realize the things that they can achieve until they're in a good relationship and that person pulls greatness out of you. A good marriage is going to help you become better no matter what area of life you're in. That person should drive you to become more of who you are as an individual. So I think it's important that you don't connect just off passion because at some point sex is going to be over. At some point you're going to have to connect on a deeper level. So it's important for you to be connected for purpose more than just passion. Tavares, uh, what do you want uh, listeners, readers to take from your book? Yeah, so when I tell people about this book, a lot of people ask that question. And to be honest, my goal has never been, oh, I need to sell a million copies. That's never been my goal. Would that be amazing? Surely it will. But but my honest goal is I want to see people realize that God does have their best, best interests at heart. I think a lot of times when we hear about these books on dating, I try to take a complete different approach. If you read one chapter, it's going to make you want to read the Bible. If you read one chapter, it's going to make you want to question, well, God, am I missing something? I want people to realize that God is the one who ultimately satisfies. The Bible says in Colossians 2 that, um, for in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, speaking of Christ. And it says, and we are complete in him. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't feel complete until they say, I do. In today's day and age where everyone is on social media, everyone is dating, everyone is married, everyone has a baby, everyone has a big house, everyone is traveling, it's very easy for the single individual to feel as though, well, God clearly doesn't love me. For the divorced individual to feel as though, well, clearly my life is a failure. But if they ever realize that if you go back to God, he's the one who ultimately satisfies. You know, so the goal throughout this, this book is, is not just to tell people, you open it just says, hey, read your Bible. No, that's not what it says. But I want to give people practical principles, not only to grow as an individual, but to grow spiritually and for them to realize that I don't have to settle for the type of relationship that I need. But God is able to bless me with the type that I know that I'm desiring of. The time, the time, there's some relationships that people are praying about and desiring, but it's just like it's easy for you to feel as though it's not possible. So I want people to know that you don't have to settle to get God's will. You are enough. You don't have to feel as though you're forgotten. You're not forgotten. God does love you. God has great plans for you. So it's just my goal to point people back to a relationship with Jesus, because ultimately people are leaving the church because of bad relationships, but you don't have to leave God. You know, God has great plans for you, and he does want a relationship with you. 
Uh, Tavares, uh, where do you see yourself uh, 10 years from today? Well, I'm hoping um, not in school anymore, (laughs) Uh, but I'm hoping my wife and I will be able to not only just put out this one book, but we're hoping for more books and traveling the world and preaching. And we we would receive engagement uh, speaking requests while we're in the military. And then after the military, then, you know, COVID. So it's been a lot of chaos, but it's just our goal to, you know, to talk about Jesus throughout the world and help people realize that you do have worth and you don't have to settle because we grew up in environments where it just was not not feasible. You know, people were mistreated because of the principles they had. I was made fun of because I wasn't trying to be in bed with everyone. So I just want to be go around to just tell people, you know, about their true worth in Christ. That's that's really my goal. Whatever platform that looks like, because godly dating was not the platform I desired when I told God I wanted to do this as a child. I just said, help me to preach your words to the nations. And here we go in the form of relationships, you know, so whatever God has me, you know, I'm just content in the season I'm in now. Tavares, how would you describe uh, Tampa, Florida, uh, to one who's never journeyed over there? Tampa, St. Pete, what, what's it like to you? Well, I, I love Tampa. You know, growing up in Miami, that was extremely fast-paced. Um, I needed to slow it down. You know, I tell someone, um, I knew it was time for the military. When, when you hear gunshots and you don't run anymore, um, <laughs> I think it was time for me to get up out of there. You know, so Tampa is great, nice city life. There's a lot that you can do, but it's still slower, whereas, you know, you can still raise a family, things like that. So we're enjoying it, learning about the new restaurants and learning about the new things. And it has all the sports. You know, we we don't have a basketball team, but Orlando's right around the corner, you know, so Tampa has a lot to offer. Uh, Tavares, we've got about uh, 30 seconds. Uh, uh, Tell me about your wife. Who is this lady you're married to? Safa is amazing. We've been married just six years this past December, mother of our two kids, Zion and Gianna. We both went to the same school, but we didn't meet at the school. We actually met in South Florida at a mutual church meeting up for um, like a conference. But she's amazing, works in insurance, um, always helping out young ladies, always trying to mentor and, and help young women. She's a praise and worship leader, an amazing singer, a poet. I met her because she did a spoken word and I fell in love. Um, and then I was just obsessed, had to try to get her number since that day. Um, but great woman, you know, definitely a blessing to my life. And it's so much more to her, but I know you only said 30 seconds. Folks, our guest has been Tavares Gray, the book Godly Dating 101. We've got more after this. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Uh, folks, we're back. Uh, Tavares Gray was our guest in that first segment. I uh, enjoyed having Tavares with us. Uh, Aaron Damiani is with us from Chicago, Illinois lead pastor of Emmanuel Anglican Church in Chicago. His book is called Earth Filled with Heaven, Finding Life in Liturgy, Sacraments, and Other Ancient Practices of the Church. Aaron, thanks for joining me. I hope you're well. I am well, Pat. Thanks for having me on. Aaron, I haven't been to my favorite city in quite a while, Chicago, Illinois. Um, 
How are things in uh, the Windy City? Are, are they good or we read a lot? Uh, what, what are we to believe? You know, I live in the city of Chicago, send my kids to schools here, pay taxes here, get to know my neighbors here. And, you know, Chicago is a wonderful, world-class city filled with good-hearted people. Uh, the gospel of Jesus is advancing here. Uh, and I just have to say it's different than how you read on the news. But there are issues, there are problems that are, you know, well-publicized. And uh, so you can pray for our city as well. Um, I have great hope, and, and I'm here for the long term. So I, I can't wait to see the kingdom of God come, even when there's some, some hurt, pain, and setbacks. Tell me about your church. We are uh, a church plant. We started 10 years ago, uh, and we are about a mile north of Wrigley Field, right on Lake, right on Lake Michigan. Really? And on the north side of Chicago. Mm. And, and so um, we are made up of a lot of young people, many people in their 20s and 30s, college students, young families, a growing number of uh, empty nesters who have retired and downsized and moved downtown. And, um, you know, we are uh, seeking to love and serve uh, the people of the north side of Chicago and especially the uptown neighborhood where there's there's been a history of people who are, um, uh, you know, struggling uh, or poverty, mental health issues, um, also a lot of spiritual wealth and a lot of spiritual uh, openness. So um, we, um, over the last 10 years, have, have, uh, have grown, matured, and, you know, we're seeing a lot of people who are you know, maybe they were on their way out of the church, uh, some, many with Christian backgrounds, but burning out and disillusioned, and, uh, but seeking a new vision of Christ and His church. A lot of artists that love beauty, um, people with desire to see truth, the truth, goodness, and beauty of Jesus Christ come together um, in, a, uh, in an ancient yet uh, worship service, but, but one with a message that speaks to the, speaks to the uh, questions the culture is asking right now. So, Eric, um, Aaron, how did, Aaron, tell us how your book came about. Yeah, so for this book is actually an expression of just my own journey of, you know, what I would call now deconstruction, where I was wrestling with my faith as a college student, came to find uh, rootedness and rest in the ancient practices of the church. And then, you know, out of that became a pastor and, and have walked with others who have sought to reconcile their evangelical Bible based Jesus loving faith with um, well can can liturgy and sacraments um, be a, a featured part of that how do those things go together and my my heart especially was for those who um, who are really wrestling with uh, their um, their faith they've got doubts they're burning out and they're thinking well maybe I need to throw aside uh, the church maybe I need to just have a private faith or maybe I need to to, to lay aside my faith altogether. Um, and so this, this book really helps people understand how instead of deconstructing your faith, you can deepen it, deepen your roots. Aaron, there are nine topics that you really unravel for us. Let's get started. Mm. Let's, yes. let's start with Eucharist, recovering mm. our vision of Christ and creation. Tell us more. So a lot of people, they ask the question, you know, the, the bread and the wine, how, how is this bringing me closer to Jesus? It's just bread. It's just wine. And one of the things that, uh, you know, we see in uh, Jesus's gift of this meal is that it's a gift of love. And when we use that word just, 
we're in some ways we're we're minimizing the intent that he had, the heart that he had to minister his life to us and remind us of his death and give us a way to proclaim his resurrection. I really wanted people to see that um, when we recover a right view of the Lord's Supper, some call it the Eucharist, some call it the you know the Lord's Table, um, that actually what that does is that helps us see all of creation with the proper reverence that Christ had for creation that was that was sewn into because matter matters. So it's not just bodies; um, these are temples of the Holy Spirit, um, and it's not just bread and wine. This is a meal that the Lord gave us. He intended his love to be infused in it. Now, I want you to explain to us uh, baptism, a waterlogged yes. community for lonely hearts, you write. Mm. Yes. Yes. So, you know, I do find that um, a lot of people are lonely in our culture. So many people are, are, are disconnected. They want they want meaningful community. And, and yet I find that for so many people that I, a lot of people are like Nicodemus where they want to dip their toe in the water. They don't want to fully commit. They've got too many commitments. And, and also, you know, the church is pretty messy. And what I, what I was uh, trying to do in this chapter was help people understand that baptism has always been a bit of a, um, a very earthy process for people to enter into the community of faith. But that's also ushering us into a, a, a messy and very satisfying, rich communion with the saints. Um, baptism is, is a, you know, it's an outward sign of, a, of an invisible spiritual grace. And so um, by, by going under the waters, by receiving, this, by receiving this gift from Jesus, we're also receiving his church. And um, our, our loneliness gives way to the richest community we could ever be a part of, which is the, which is the church, the people of God, both, both alive and alive in the Lord. So we've covered Eucharist, and we've covered baptism. Uh, My guest is Aaron Damiani in Chicago. We're talking about his book, Earth Filled with Heaven. Uh, Next topic, Aaron, for you is called Time, Fixing Our Clocks and Calendars on Jesus Christ. What's that that mean? So it means that we embrace time as a teacher. Time is our teacher. Teaches us how to follow Jesus. Time teaches us. Uh, to, uh, it, it actually shapes our hearts and shapes our lives. Um, and um, sometimes we were tempted in our culture to race against time, to kind of treat it like an enemy, something to win against rather than something to learn from. And in this chapter, what I do, is I talk about how um, we can um, actually, instead of seeing our relationship with God as a to-do list, one more thing to get through along with all of our work responsibilities, family responsibilities, practices, et cetera, that actually, uh, the, you know, the ancient way of marking the days was was as a rhythm and like a heartbeat, you know, like in Genesis 1, um, where uh, God, God creates, God rests. There was morning, there was evening. Um, uh, we can, we can um, enter into this rhythm through morning and evening prayer. And this rhythm continues, actually, in the rhythm of the Sabbath, you know, that seventh day where we're resting, um, and not just as a rule, but as a way to, to, to really... Um, enter into the um, the deep rest of our Lord. I also talk about the church calendar in this chapter, where um, we we look at how the whole year 
is a journey that we're on to to Jerusalem, to the heart of Jesus Christ. It's sort of like a Holy Land pilgrimage. Even if we never go to the Holy Land, it, that's a good thing to do. Um, but instead of our calendar shaping us to be just consumers, the calendar can actually shape us to be pilgrims um, that are on a journey into uh, Jesus Christ and his grander gospel story. Now, uh, let's move to the next one. Uh, by the way, uh, <clears throat> a quick little aside here. Uh, Billy Graham was once asked late in his life uh, what he had learned about life, and he responded, how fast it goes, mm-hmm. said Billy Graham. And, yes. uh, and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm saying the same thing today. Uh, mm-hmm. How did my life go so fast? Oh boy, let's move. Let's move wow. on, uh, Aaron. This book is interesting. Yeah. Next topic: Scripture, creeds, and old prayers. Stability for uncertain times. Um, what's all that mean? Well, you know, I think a lot of people feel the instability of our age. They see change happening all over the place, and it's troubling, and it's fast. And I think people are, you know, they're longing for the the rooted stability of something um, that is going to stabilize their soul. And I find that um, there are gifts from the ancient church that have lasted the um, test of time. And those three things are scripture, creeds, and old prayers. Um, one example of this is that, you know, the, the one of the ancient practices of the church is actually the public reading of scripture, often from the Old Testament, from the New Testament, uh, praying the Psalms together, and then a gospel reading one, from one of the four gospels. You know, one of the things that we've lost as uh, evangelical Christians is that ancient uh, that ancient practice of having Scripture read publicly in our worship services, uh, just as a way of letting God preach. And one of the things that we've done is we've we've edged that out so we can hear more of the commentary. You know, more of the sermon. And sermons are great. I'm I'm preaching one on Sunday, in fact. Um, uh, but when we let God preach through his revealed word, we, we, we stabilize, and so does our church. Um, I also find the same is true with creeds, that the creeds of the church, like the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed, these are these ancient truths about who God is, that when we recite them, um, when we memorize them, when we say them with all of our hearts, we're doing what, uh, we're, you know, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, Father, hallowed be thy name, for we're honoring and hollowing the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit um, when their names have been maligned in our in our day. And um, the old prayers, what I love about the old prayers of the Church is they're, they're like the war monument um, that, you know, sometimes we ignore when we're young, you know, we're passing by a war monument in a park. But when we're older, we realize the sacrifices that have been made on our behalf. And some of the oldest prayers of the Church come from saints who have suffered a great deal. And they have come out with some of the most beautiful prayers um, that someone could pray uh, after having suffered with the Lord. And so I find that holding on to these these three things, Scripture, creeds, and old prayers, really do stabilize my soul and, and, and faith uh, when things are changing quack very you're, fast. You're uh, listening <clears throat> to Aaron Damiani in uh, Chicago. Uh, we're talking about his book, Earth Filled with Heaven. Aaron, uh, we've arrived now at this word. It's called liturgy, yes. uh, the joy of heaven for people on earth. Explain liturgy. 
liturgy is the work of the people. It's something um, that uh, we do with our bodies that ends up shaping our souls, whether it's, you know, checking our phone in the morning or holding hands with our brothers and sisters in our small group and, and praying the Lord's Prayer. Um, a lot of people have bad associations with liturgy. Um, it has a bad reputation as being dead, like a brick in your backpack, or boring, like a wet blanket, or strange, um, like like the old parlor room where you weren't allowed to sit on the uh, sit on the furniture. Um, but I thought actually that what I explain in this chapter is actually um, that uh, just addressing these misconceptions that instead of it being a dead religion, liturgy actually makes us alive. It's like the exercises that we do in practice where we are, are preparing for the game. This is what the ancient church did, the early church did, um, to, to prepare for some of their challenges, is they would learn to pray um, in ways that helped them memorize Scripture and get it into their bloodstream and muscle memory so that they were ready to face persecution, and they were also ready to, to minister the gospel in the, in the Roman Empire. second misconception I, I uh, address here is that instead of being boring, actually liturgy is is uh, meant for joy, that it, it shapes our joy. And you know, I mentioned the Cubs earlier, um, Wrigley Field earlier. I was uh, in, in Chicago when they won the World Series back in 2016. And uh, one of the liturgical uh, songs from Chicago is the Steve Goodman song, Go Cubs Go. Yes. Which is sung after every victory, you know, at Wrigley Field. And um, in, in good times and bad. And when I went out to um, get close to Wrigley Field after their victory on Addison Avenue, guess what we were all singing with all of our hearts? It was Go Cubs Go over and over again. And uh, people were like, you know, on their porches and and, and, uh, like standing on top of um, vans and holding hands and high-fiving cops and singing Go Cubs Go. And it was because it was the best way for them to express their joy. And so in the Christian church, what, what we find is that um, actually we, when we come into Christ's presence, sometimes there's so much overflow in our soul. The best way we know how to express that is through a song, is through an old prayer um, that isn't prayed in, a, in an old way. It's prayed in a new way. Aaron Damiani is our guest. We have another segment with Aaron. We're talking about his book, Earth Filled with Heaven. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Aaron Damiani is our guest. We're talking about his book, Earth Filled with Heaven. Uh, Aaron Pastors, uh, Emmanuel Anglican Church in Chicago. Uh, Aaron, the next topic for you to explain to us is passing the peace, Christian unity in a divided world. So this was this chapter was important for me. Um, I was just really concerned for all of the, the division that that I was experiencing and seeing in our culture. People are really eager to destroy reputations and throw each other under the bus. Um, as I looked into, you know, what the conditions were like for the early church, I saw, um, you know, this was this was equally true. We didn't have social media back then, but they did have the Colosseum, and um, a lot of times 
Christians were were um, grown to the uh, uh, to the wolves um, and blamed for um, society's ills. And what I saw that instead of lashing back, what they did was they demonstrated uh, they demonstrated the peace of Christ across um, economic and social and ethnic lines. And um, that was expressed in what we now do, you know, greet your neighbor in the worship service. It has a deeper meaning than that. We're passing peace. It used to do what's called the holy kiss. Now that that was the handshake uh, for good reason. But what this was doing um, is this was uh, forming people to be unified with one another. And when the time came for many Christians in Carthage to face the lions, they were actually able to do that in front of everyone in the Colosseum. Many people became Christians as they witnessed Christians have a distinct unity in the Holy Spirit uh, that gave something, uh, people in the Roman Empire, something to aspire to. So I talk about how we can bring that into our day and into our practices. Now, Aaron, explain to me the prayers of the people, bonfire of the anxieties. What's up? Well, um, I don't know if you've ever uh, put together a nice bonfire. I love bonfires especially on a cold night where you have a lot of uh, old wood to burn down. Um, but I find this was a, 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 just a metaphor for how the early church approached prayer. They, instead of um, you know, making their anxieties worse when they came together by complaining, what they did is they burned up all of their anxieties in corporate prayer intercession together as the people of God. And so what I do is I, 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 I teach people in this chapter how the early church prayed, um, and also what it means to pray, it sounds strange, but to pray with your body, to make the sign of the cross, how is that not just that religion, um, as well as what does it mean to bow, to kneel, all of these ways of involving your whole, kind of like in a gymnasium way, involving your whole body and soul in the practice of prayer. Um, and uh, hopefully that in our day, as in the day of the early church, we can see the revival come that we've all been praying for. Now, I want you to talk to us about mission for the yes. life of the world. Mm, yes. Well, we are sent as ambassadors of Jesus Christ into the world. He, he told us who we are. Um, when he was resurrected, he said, you are witnesses of these things. And he was talking about his, his death, his suffering, and his resurrection. He's making the world new. Um, right now, you know, most people don't know a Christian or they don't know that they know a Christian. And um, we have an opportunity um, and, and really a, a legacy from, from the early church of, um, of going out, taking the gifts of Jesus that we've received in the church and pushing the darkness back in our neighborhoods and networks with those gifts. A lot of times it just starts with, the, you know, one of the ancient practices of the church is hospitality, opening up your table, opening up your home to people who don't know Jesus, making space for them, uh, to be known and loved. And um, so I talk a little bit about some practical ways that we can be witnesses and and also that we can push back the darkness wherever we're sent in our uh, networks, neighborhoods, or, or our vocations. And now it's time <clears throat> to talk to us about courage. Faithfulness in crisis, you call it. Yes. I um, Of all of the, the ways that I'm moved, by church history. This is the top one for me. When I read about how the early pastors and early Christians uh, heard for their faith, but they didn't just suffer. They suffered with courage, with moxie, uh, with a sense of even um, uh, 
defiance, but but joyful defiance, defiance against the devil, um, as they preached boldly, um, as they sought to, um, you know, evidence with their life what they were preaching in their words. And so I talk about in this in this chapter, uh, I give a few, you know, stories from church history that have inspired me. But then I also give like if we are going to live this courage in our day, um, here are key lessons that we can learn from early Christians and early church pastors. Um, about how to show courage when um, when our faith is shaken and challenged, and um, I, I I hope that some of these stories of, of sacrifice um, uh, can be acts of worship for us um, as our culture begins to darken and turn against the message of the gospel. Uh, tell me this: <clears throat> what should we take from all of this? How do you summarize and how do you put shoe leather on all this for us? Mm. I think the way I would summarize it is this. If you love Jesus, but you're troubled and um, you're, you are discouraged and tempted to give up. If, if the message of darkness is beginning to, to, to you know, weigh down your soul, um, as we look to, to, to the early practices of the church um, we find an inspiring example, not just of mission, but also of rest for your souls and a vision of beauty and joy um, in our world and in our day. Um, look, this is a really important time to be a Christian um, in the West and in the United States. And um, if you are discouraged right now, I want to just want to let you know that the Lord is still at work and, um, and that we have an inspiring legacy and example and the fathers and mothers of the church that came before us. And there's a way to embrace the gifts of the church in a way that still honors the scriptures, that honors the Lord, and that honors our evangelical faith. And instead of throwing it aside um, for, for ideologies, uh, we've, got a, we've got a chance to deepen our faith and deepen our roots in Jesus and in his church. Aaron, let me go. Let me flip this thing totally backwards. Hmm. You open the book with a chapter called My Story, The Weary and the Heavy Laden. What does that mean? Well, I mean, it's my story about burning out in my first you know, leadership assignment. Um, I was a high-flying Christian college student, um, you know, involved in everything and, and loving life. And uh, I'll never forget, one of my good friends uh, called me up and let me know that her, her devout Christian father took his own life. Mm. It was real confusing, real confusing for me. It ushered in a season of grief for me. Um, and um, uh, I, I also doubted my faith as I was learning more about biology. The more I learned, the less I believed. And then I was burning out my first leadership assignment. And so I couldn't feel my way to God. I couldn't think my way to God. And I couldn't minister and lead my way to God. And those were the pathways that I had learned to connect with God. But I still longed for God. And so that's when I entered a church that had liturgy and sacraments, but also was rooted in the gospel and preaching the gospel. And what I found was that there was like this stable, objective quality to God's grace that didn't depend on my emotions or me having the right thoughts about God. It could, uh, this church welcomed me like a mother welcoming a weary child uh, back from a long journey. And um, by resting in um, God's grace as made visible, and tangible through the sacraments and 
by taking up these old prayers and taking up these old confessions, I actually didn't have to um, manufacture an, a worship experience. I could receive God's grace um, through, through the church. And that, for me, kicked off just a, a season of healing and renewal uh, to the point where, um, you know, I, I now can re-engage in leadership, re-engage my emotions and thoughts. Um, but it started with rest and it started with God's grace. And that's where I started the book. You got about 30 seconds there. And uh, where did you grow up? And when you talk about your college, wh- what was the college? Where were you? I was at Moody Bible Institute. Oh, yes. I-L. That's right. And I grew up in Ohio. I uh, grew up actually listening to Moody Radio. And that's how I found out about uh, Moody Bible Institute. And uh, and so um, I went there as a communications major and uh, turned, you know, eventually became a pastoral studies major. And uh, that's where I that's where I began my journey um, after after being raised in Ohio. Well, Aaron, we're right on the same page. I'm a I'm a big Moody guy as my time in Chicago. Love Moody Church, Moody Bible Institute. It's wonderful. Folks, thanks for joining us. But we've got a wrap up here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word will be right back for a quick finish. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word. Now, here's Pat. Thanks so much for joining us, friends, here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We gather like this every weekend, and we're always so pleased. Uh, when you decide to join in with us as well. Uh, Our first guest today, Tavares Gray from Tampa, and then we switched over to Chicago. There was Aaron Damiani talking about his book, Earth Filled with Heaven. And speaking of books, uh, my most recent book is out. It's called Who Coached the Coaches? And for about seven years, I tracked down coaches in all the different sports head coaches, managers, and and asked him one question. Who was the key person in you becoming a coach, and what did you take from them? What, what did they contribute to your career? And uh, and then the book just consists exactly what they said. I, I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, uh, so uh, who coached the coaches? Uh, coaches' Choice is the publisher. We're back next weekend for more. Have a wonderful week ahead. And uh, next weekend, we're back with the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, In the meantime, enjoy your week. God bless you, and we'll see you next weekend. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.